630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. All right, good to have you tuning in tonight. The Edmonton Oil Kings in action a little bit later on. They are visiting Everett. The Oil Kings 5-4-1 on the season, but they're winless in their last five. Everett coming in at 3-3. Three and three. The U of A Golden Bears hockey team at Manitoba tonight. It's now a 2-2 tie, eight minutes into the second period. Football, Alberta and Regina just getting underway. Uh, Alberta now 2-3 and three after getting a win added to their total at Regina's expense one week ago. Regina got knocked down to 0-5 for using an ineligible player, though they are protesting that. Dodgers and Bruins tied 1-1 in the bottom of the third. That's game one of the National League Championship Series. Mike Riley did not practice today for the Edmonton Eskimos, but they're hopeful he's going to play tomorrow. He is sick. And on Sunday, final regular season game of the Prairie Junior Football Conference regular season. Uh, Wildcats 2-5 and five against the Huskies 5-2. and two, 1 o'clock at Clark Park. The Wildcats cannot make the playoffs. The Huskies uh, need a win to have a home playoff game against Regina on Sunday the 21st. The Huskies will play Regina in the semifinal. Just not sure where, but they do control their own fate. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, 630 Ched. A city in crisis. Crisis Saturday tomorrow, 9.30 face-off show, Oilers and Rangers at 11, and then 2.30 countdown to kickoff, and then Eskimos and Red Blacks at 3. We may play our uh, fun little crisis bit again later on, Kellen, and thanks to uh, Russ Moore for putting that together in our uh, production department. He did a great job piecing that together, for sure. You can text 630-630. Rick in the bridge says the Oilers will beat the Rangers tomorrow. Then everyone can quit taking double doses of their blood pressure medication. Well, I'm not going to stop. Frustrated fan says the Oilers will win the next three games and smoke Boston on Thursday. Book it. That is from frustrated fan. Frustrated fan. Now, why would you do that? This is the same individual who, when the Edmonton Eskimos were 6-4 and four after losing on Labor Day in 2015, texted this show and said the Eskimos will not win another game all season long. Do you remember what happened, Kellen? Yeah, they won. They didn't lose another game right. all season long. So, frustrated fan, you have a, a bad track record. You have a bad track record with predictions, especially to that extent. Because the opposite happened before. And if the opposite happens now, the, the Oilers won't win a game for another week. We'll see. Kyle says it's unfortunate for Todd McClellan. Peter Shirelli has made some highly questionable decisions over the last two seasons. Sure, you can fire Todd if the team continues this path, but the new coach will have the same tools. Not much will change. If Shirelli goals, the new GM doesn't have much to play with to improve the team due to lack of depth in the system and contracts. They will need to clean house, and you have to believe McDavid doesn't want to rebuild for two to five years. Just my two cents. That is from Kyle. And Mark writes in, in all seriousness, how long until Todd McClellan is gone? 
If the Oilers come home 0-4, there's no way they have the confidence to play well against the likes of Boston, Nashville, Pittsburgh, and Washington on their homestand. They'll lose all of those, and they'll be in such a big hole. Mark adds with some sarcasm, but can they bring Vino in on a PTO and see who the players perform better for? You can't bring uh, coaches in on a PTO. That's a good idea, though. He knows that. He's joking around. Guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring something up here. I don't know if I've ever specifically discussed this before. Uh, I'm well aware of the criticism against Peter Shirelli. I think a lot of it is warranted. I do think some of it is mean-spirited and excessive, but you, you can say whatever you like. I, I will say this. There, there are some people out there that if Peter Shirelli cured brain cancer, they would criticize him for not curing lung cancer. But anyway, his only job right now is to try to cure the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, as a whole, over his three-plus years as general manager, he has not done a good enough job. There are a lot of things about Shirelli's performance that have been picked apart. I think the Griffin-Reinhardt uh, trade, trading a couple of draft picks, first and second round for Griffin-Reinhardt, was questionable at the time and clearly turned out to be a disaster. Uh, I know a couple of, of, high, of trading of high-profile and, and uh, offensive players like Taylor Hall and Jordan Eberle has been discussed a, a lot, uh, and, I, and I get it. I'm not one of those... I, I mean, I'm not going to use the phrase get over it because I know people get mad when, when I say that. Uh, I, I, I am going to say this. And I'm actually going to quote uh, uh, somebody who texted in to Overtime Open Line last year. And, and he said to, read, to, to Rob and I, he said, I'm sick of hearing about Taylor Hall not being on the team because he wouldn't help the Oilers' last place penalty killing because he didn't kill penalties. I thought that was an interesting point. Um, the Oilers were never going to win that trade in terms of offensive impact. Um, the Oilers needed somebody like Adam Larson. They got him and they paid a hell of a price. There is, there is no doubt about that. I don't think Taylor Hall would have been won the Hart Trophy here in Edmonton because at best he would have been the second-best player on the team. Good for him for what he was done. I, I actually, if I were to, if I were to uh, rank uh, gaffes by Peter Shirelli, I would put the Taylor Hall trade quite a bit lower down on the list than a lot of you uh, simply because he, he got a, a player that the team needed. The Oilers needed defense, and they still need defense. So I, I, I have to throw this out to you, and I think this is probably going to irritate many of you, but I, I think it needs to be discussed. Why the hell did the Oilers not draft Mikhail Sergachev? They had a jersey with his name on it at the draft. Why, like, why didn't they stick with the plan? A defenseman who's currently 20 years old, he's six foot three. he's 215 pounds. Last year in his first full season in the NHL with the Tampa Bay Lightning, he had 40 points in 79 games. Sound like something you could use? I mean, let's, let, let's talk about that. Mikhail Sergachev is sitting there at number four. You were going to take him anyway. Columbus passes on Puliyarvi. And you already have, uh, you know, some forwards you're trying to bring along and depth forwards you're trying to bring along. And you pass on Sergachev and draft Yessi Pugliarvi, who maybe he's still going to be really good. I don't know. I continue to not see him blossom, personally. So, I mean, if anybody can answer that question, why the hell didn't the Oilers draft Mikhail Sergachev? 
That's I, I can't state it any more bluntly than that. They had a jersey with his name on it at the draft. They weren't going to draft Matthew Kachuk. That number four, they were going to grab Sergachev. He wound up falling to number nine. Uh, at the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, Vancouver could have got him fifth. They took Ole Uolevi, has not played a game in the NHL, the only guy in the top ten that year who has not played a game. Uh, you know, Calgary took Kachuk. All right, pretty good player. Arizona took Clayton Keller, pretty good player. Buffalo took Alexander Nylander, we'll see. Then Montreal took Sergachev, and then Montreal trades the kid, by the way, which uh, another point of discussion. He played four games for the Canadiens. So I don't know, guys. Ask yourself who you'd sooner have, Mikhail Sergachev or Yessi Puliyarvi. That's my question to you. Listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. It is 718. We will go to New York in a bit here. Dave Maloney, color analyst for the New York Rangers. He's always uh, fun to have on the program. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. This portion of the show presented by Furnace Family, your 24-7 furnace repair and replacement specialist. Call 7804-FAMILY or FurnaceFamily.com. 780-496-0063. We have Joanne on the line. Hello, Joanne. Hi, Reed. I was just kind of thinking, I wonder if uh, Todd McClellan is trying to coach the team the way he did in San Jose. Um, The game has changed so much, but something's not working. And to answer your question, who would you rather have? Um, Mike Babcock. Thanks. Bye now. Okay. Thanks, Joanne. 780-496-0063-1810. Hamilton leading uh, Toronto four minutes into the third quarter. Uh, Mark says, pessimist view, it doesn't matter who the Oilers drafted because they would have ruined that player anyway, putting them in situations where they are in over their head. That is uh, in my uh, question about not taking Sergachev and taking Puliyarvi instead. Uh, this texture says they are unable to draft with common sense to fill needs. That's why Reed skilled forwards versus defense. That's the plan. As of today, the Oilers are in 31st place. Granted, they have played fewer games than a lot of teams, but they have looked like a team that should be in 31st place. I hope they can find their hard hats and put in a really solid effort from start to finish like they did back in the Smitty era. Uh, this texter says, chalk up another fumble by our amazing GM. My question to you, Reed: are the Oilers the most poorly managed team in the NHL? Uh, well, probably Ottawa. Uh, this texter says, I know, let's trade a Hart Trophy candidate for a second-pairing defenseman. While another texter says, I've said it before and I'll say it again, Adam Larson filled a bigger hole than Taylor Hall left. Nuff said. All right. I will say this. I will say this, guys. I love hearing from you. Heard from a lot more of you who uh, disliked Taylor Hall when he was an oiler, and now I hear from all of you who love the guy. 
He's a great player. He's a great player. Would have he been a Hart Trophy candidate in Edmonton? Well, obviously not. And if you don't see that, you're just a Hall fanboy, and you need to wake up. But I, in no means, by no means, diminishing how great he is. Andy is on the line. Hi, Andy. Yeah. Hey, Reed. Um, just listening to all day, uh, listening to Bob earlier. I think the thing the Oilers fans have to keep in mind always is that we have Connor McDavid, and that's that's our shining jewel. That's our, you know, our top guy, and. And I think whenever you have a guy like Connor, there's always optimism. Now, you take a couple of those guys away, the optimism is gone. But what I see with the team is it's just basically execution problems. I mean, Connor's playing his game. Uh, Leon, I think, looks physically fine. He's just not getting a lot of chemistry going on on the ice. So, you know, this is more of I think Shirelli has provided the ingredients for this team. And I think we've just got to find a way to get these guys to work together, find their game, and get it moving. And let's face it, with the, the start of this season over in Europe, I really don't think you can judge the Oilers right now because they just haven't had a chance to even get into a stride situation where even they know what to expect. So, you know, I expect them to come out hard against the Rangers and just, you know, try and find some of their game and get some confidence and get a little ball rolling here and Let's wait 10 games before we start, uh, you know, crucifying this team. And, and I personally believe in these players, and uh, I just think it's a matter of time before these guys turn the corner. So, All right, Andy, good to hear from you. Thank you. You bet, Jerry. Thanks. That is Andy at 780-496-0063. It is uh, 723. Uh, I do want to get to this. Uh, this is a good story here. Uh, Mark Cordy plays offensive line. He's the sixth offensive lineman for the Ottawa Red Blacks. He was taken fourth overall this year out of the U of A Golden Bears. He will get to play in Edmonton against the Eskimos tomorrow. Dave Campbell talked to him at Commonwealth. It's exciting to be, be back at Edmonton and uh, see some familiar sights and familiar faces. Saw some family this morning. So, um, yeah, it's great to be great to be home in Edmonton. A year ago, you're, 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 playing, uh, you're playing on the offensive line of the U of A Golden Bears. You're going through a playoff run, kind of similar here. You know you're going to the playoffs. Uh, but when you think back to the last year, is it, is it remarkable and just cool just to think about where you were to, to, to where you are now? Yeah, it's been been a whirlwind of a year, and it's been been a lot of excitement um, going from the U of A and then going through the whole combine process, and now to be with Ottawa and be going down the stretch towards the playoff run. It's I couldn't ask for much more. So what, what's the biggest takeaway right now that you would uh, that you would that you would talk about? I guess from going from a U sports level to a pro level, because I imagine the leap is pretty pretty big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the leap in mental preparation is huge. Um, but you also get a lot of a lot more opportunities at the professional level to take care of yourself. Uh, when you can dedicate your whole day to football, you can you, know, you can spend extra time on film and really take care of your diet. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been a blast to make that transition, and yeah. I think it's benefited me well. Does it help to have a guy like on your line? I'm thinking of Jason Lozon again, who mm-hmm. played year one. As a starter, or he got a chance to start in year one, and he kind of understands what you're going through. Is that you know you're 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 so focused on football? Yeah, absolutely. Jason's been great as long as as uh, as well as all the other vets. Evan Johnson's another guy came out of University of Saskatchewan last year, so he's yeah. been a great help. And as well as the older guys, guys like John God have really helped me along and kind of helped me grow into myself as a professional player. Can't help but remember last time you played these two uh, these two teams 
played in Ottawa. You scored a touchdown. But then it didn't count. <laughs> you still scored a touchdown. We, we all saw it. But uh, kind of the kind of the you know the high the highest of high to the lowest of low, I guess. Yeah, a bit of an emotional crash for sure. Um, yeah, but it was it was a lot of fun and thankfully hopefully or thankfully we won the game. Um, and we were able to laugh about it, so uh, yeah, it was it was fun. Still is <laughs> the uh, the battle for first place in the East. Uh, everyone's talking about it's going to be you and Hamilton. Yeah, um, and I know you don't want to talk about the two games you have coming up, but <laughs> but uh, I mean it's been it's been remarkable how it just you know you seem like you get some separation now they're right on you. Mm-hmm. So the urgency is probably pretty high, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we're we're obviously focused about tomorrow, but it is. I mean, everybody's got their eyes on that that first round bye in the playoffs. So going down the stretch with two more games against Hamilton is going to be going to be huge for us. So uh, every wins, every game is big, and getting every win is super important at this point in the season. So uh, yeah, either way, interested to see how it shakes down. Right? How many friends, family coming to the game? A lot. We got about forty or fifty people coming in from all the way over from Saskatchewan to you know right down the road in downtown. So uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. All right, that's good stuff. Mark Cordy, offensive lineman for the Ottawa Red Blacks. He had that touchdown against the Eskimos. Touchdown catch when he lined up end eligible. Called back against the Eskimos earlier this season. All right, uh, Jeff. I got about forty-five seconds for you before the news break here. Hey, Reed. Uh, i got to make a comment about everybody threatening or wanting the coach gone. I can guarantee you if Edmonton removes McClellan, they will never see a high-end coach again. What is that, uh, six coaches in eight years? It'll just never, never happen. They'll be getting bottom-dweller coaches because they know their time with the Oilers is just a dime stop. That's all there is to it. Well, I, th- I, I think Todd's a good coach. I, you know, I understand he's not doing well, but I, th- I think if he is uh, let go, he's probably snapped up relatively quickly too. Real quickly, and his history is proven, so he has to have time. All right, thanks, Jeff. You bet, thanks. You're listening to 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Okay. Canada West football, U of A in Regina, 7-7, five minutes left in the first quarter. Golden Bears hockey in a 2-2 tie after two in Manitoba. Game one of the NLDS, or pardon me, NLCS. Uh, Milwaukee leading Los Angeles, 2-1. That's in the bottom of the fourth. No games in the NHL tonight. The Oil Kings play uh, later on tonight. They will take on Everett, Wildcats, and Huskies Junior Football, 1 o'clock Sunday at Clark Park. Hamilton and Toronto going at it in uh, the CFL tonight. Of course, uh, Hamilton and Ottawa fighting for first place in the East. Hamilton up 25-10 halfway through the third quarter. Ottawa and the Eskimos tomorrow. That game starts at 3. Coverage will begin at 2.30 here on 6.30, Chad. Before that, we have the Oilers' 9.30 face-off show game at 11. Both teams struggling, so if you uh, missed it earlier... Hope you enjoy. We uh, played this off the top of the show. It is our City in Crisis feature. An Inside Sports special report. City in Crisis. Edmonton's team's in trouble. Mercer on the steal. Shoots and scores. Game over. 4-1 Bruins. Where do you think we are at the end of this 10-game stretch? 0-10? The dry title is the worst overpay in Oilers history. Worse than Horikov. Raleigh takes the snap. Looks to the right 
side. Oh, it's intercepted. Touchdown, Riders. But he hasn't had the opportunity to complete those passes uh, when he's getting hammered the way he is. Just the play calling. I uh, don't disrespect Jason Moss. I like the guy, but I think he's thinking he handle both. Both positions in this case. With only 80 games left in the season, the Oilers have yet to earn a point. As for the Eskimos, even their smallest fans are in dismay. That's two-week-old Jessica Bailey. She hasn't seen the Eskimos score a touchdown in her entire life. Her father, Jason, can only hope. All I want is for my daughter to see a touchdown before she's one month old. The mood at Commonwealth Stadium Saturday will be one of tension and possibly confusion. I'm still not totally sure what a red-black is. Like, is it some kind of animal or something? Eskimos fans are desperate. How desperate? Very desperate. Maybe it's time we bring Stephen Giles back. Meanwhile, the Oilers are led by Connor McDavid. There is no truth to the rumor that he'll have to change his name to Austin Matthews to get people in Toronto to notice him. McDavid breaks free and scores! The Oilers have three goals this season. McDavid has three points. That's really good. But where will the rest of the offense come from? Anybody know what Nail Yakupov is up to? I still have his jersey. How bad is it? Even Edmonton sports broadcasting legend Brian Hall needs help figuring it out. Well, Oilers lose. You see, Jim Matheson says they got to start getting some victories fast. Yeah, that's exactly right, Matty, yes. Edmonton fans can only watch, wait, and worry. Fingernails will be chewed. Blogs will be written. Remote controls will be thrown. It's a city in crisis. In crisis. Do you need help navigating the Edmonton crisis? Inside Sports is here for you. Text 630-630 or call now. 780-496-0063. All right, we had some fun with that. Uh, 737 Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio. 630, Chad. The doubleheader crisis Saturday tomorrow. And the Oilers... 0-2 will be taking on the 1-3 New York Rangers from MSG Network, former New York Ranger Dave Maloney. Dave, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thanks for calling. It's nice to touch base. And obviously the Oilers and Rangers are going to tee it up tomorrow. And uh, I suppose it's hockey time, so it's all fun. Yeah, here we go. Uh, into the season, uh, both teams obviously not getting what they wanted out of the gate. We'll, we'll touch on that. But this is, this is an interesting time of the year for you, Dave. I, I think yeah. we're off by a day. But it's uh, been 40 years, man. Time flies since you were named captain of the of the New York Rangers. What do you remember about that day? Well, it's funny. That was uh, Fred Shiro had come in uh, to coach. Of course, Fred had won a couple of cups with the Flyers, and um, and our the franchise uh, was going through a bit of a you know transition time. It's not so much unlike what's going on around here now, but. You know, there were really a good uh, group of young guys, and there was a good group of veterans, too, though. And we had a sponsor's luncheon right before the season opened, and Fred Shiro pulled me aside and said that I was going to be the next captain of the uh, of the franchise. So, um, And, you know, it's funny as time has morphed along, um, you know, that, that the role of captain has certainly, from a public persona, has taken on certainly to my memory, a much greater role than I can remember in, uh, in, in the mid seventies. And from a ranger standpoint, um, you know, what Mark Messier did in 1994, uh, that certainly changed and highlighted and heightened, uh, the perspective of the role of captain. But it was funny too, the conversation I had with Fred, um, probably lasted about a minute and that might've been 
four minutes uh, less than I talked to him for the next two years as captain. <laughs> there was not uh, Freddie was Freddie was uh, a fairly distant chap. I know he had an assistant coach, Mike Nicklock, who we had kind of a committee of guys, five or six of us. We'd meet for lunch once a month and kind of check the pulse of things. So, and I was asked yesterday if uh, it seemed like a long time ago or it seemed like yesterday, and I must admit it seems like a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> had you ever had you ever been a captain before? I mean, you must have at, at some point in your life, even if you were in, in your teens or something. Yeah, I was just uh, 22 when I was named captain, but I was yeah I was a captain you know on youth teams along the way. I, I was always one of the younger uh, guys. I always played up, you know. I played junior when I was 15, 16, and and in those days it was a little different than it was now. There weren't many of us playing that young, and um, so outside of uh, you know minor hockey, I remember I was the captain of a team and a peewee team and um, stuff like that. So, um, And it was funny because Phil would tell me after, uh, Phil Esposito, who, who had handed and suggested to Fred that I be the next captain uh, later on in life, he would tell me that uh, he really thought it was the right thing to, to do given where the club was with we had a number of guys under 24, 25, 22, 23, and I was fairly representative of the majority of the club. But it, it really worked um, because we had a group of veterans. Um, you know, it's funny now when you watch this generation of kids, and really, in all due respect, I oftentimes use Edmonton as an example. When you kind of seed, seed the room and seed the future to guys that – really might not be ready uh, to, to get that, you know, have that role. And it really speaks to a culture of a franchise to have just a good veteran presence. And I know the league's gotten younger, and it's funny, I had a conversation with Matt Zuccarello about this same thing today. About, and now Zuc is, you know, he's 30, 31, and there's not many of those 30-year-olds on the Ranger roster. And he was just talking about even he recognizes how important it now is to have the young guys learn right. And I think when you look at a lot of successful franchises along the way, there's a certain culture that's been created over time, and a lot of that has been kind of handed down. So so a lot of the fundamental things, I think, going back 40 years, still are the same. I you know we all want to get young, but there's still a role for a wily old veteran. Right. What, what time of a, a captain were you? Were you vocal? Were you more worried about making yeah. sure guys got along off the ice, or, or what was it? No, I was an emotional, vocal, loud. I was young, right? I was just 22, and I was um, probably a little ahead of myself, really. The second year was a little different. Um, Freddie became a little more distant, even more distant. And then, you know, we had made a big trade, and there were four guys out of the roster that were gone, and uh, there wasn't an awful lot of cohesion. Um, and it's funny, it, it, you know, we got bounced in the first round of the playoffs next year. So, so no, I was uh, I was an emotional guy. I, you know, I bang boards, throw stuff, and uh, <laughs> expect a lot from people. And uh, but I'm not sure. I, I certainly wouldn't um, change who I was at that time because that was an important part of the, who I was as a player and, uh, and and all that stuff. But I was still pretty young. Well, hey, they went to the Cup final your first full year as captain, right? So you must have done something right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, yeah we, I had the uh, great fortune of playing with a goaltender by the name of John Davidson. <laughs> you know, right. He, uh, <laughs> Yeah, but no, we really were. We were we were a good mix of of youth and old. We really were, and uh, that was 
you know, the funny too, right? You get there and then you think, well, that was easy. Let's do that again. Well, that never happens. So, um, so I, I think, you know, as distant as the memory is, I do look back fondly upon that time. It was uh, the age of innocence uh, in a lot of ways. And you get one taste of it and, boy, it, it sure goes by fast. Rangers broadcaster Dave Maloney joining us on Inside Sports, Oilers and Rangers tomorrow morning right here on 6.30. Chad, okay, uh, the Oilers have not started well 0-2, and uh, the Rangers did pick up a win last night, but they're sitting at 1-3 and on the season. Now, I, I know, uh, well, you can you can tell me how you see it from covering the team every day, Dave, but certainly from, from a distance here, it seemed like the uh, expectations were, were moderate at best for the Rangers going into this season. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to hear that from the locker room. Um, I mean, and listen, this goes back to uh, last February. Early in February, uh, Glenn Sather, Jeff Gordon uh, decided, you know what, we're heading, we're, we're mildly competitive, but not heading in the right direction. And come trade deadline, they laid it out there, what they were going to do. And they did exactly what they said they were going to do. Uh, They're going to move assets for future. Um, They were going to try and draft right. And they were going to not go crazy looking for that one answer when there really wasn't one answer in the free agency market. And they've stuck to their guns. And they've hired a coach, um, David Quinn, out of Boston University, who at 51 is not a young guy by any stretch of the imagination, but has dealt with this next generation of player. And uh, all in all, while they are one in three, and I, I don't know whether I would be accused of having uh, blinders on, but they've played better than a one in three team. They really have. Uh, the third period in Carolina, they gave up four, got caught being young. Um, but they played well enough, and they've been backstopped by the guy that's going to give them a chance every night, Hendrick Lundquist. So... While the outside perceptions were modest at best, you wouldn't hear that from David Quinn and his group, and they're doing a lot of the right things here when you're establishing the right way to play. Okay. Uh, well, that's going to be interesting to watch tomorrow because the Oilers, you know, haven't started well. Uh, you know, really bad game against the Devils in in Sweden, and then yesterday, right. I mean, three goals in the first period against Boston. They they had some chances that uh, they they weren't able to convert on, but Boston was the the better team overall for the game. I mean, you've you've been there as an athlete too, whether it's uh-huh. um, you know, or whether it's watching the Rangers or the Oilers. You, you get off to that start. I mean, you lose two games uh, at the end of January kind of gets swept under the carpet not swept under the carpet but it's not a yeah, no, it's right. not in you're bold right. right like off the stop right. tart of the season it, it looks a lot worse well the thing is every every there are 31 franchises right they all break camp thinking they have a shot so you're 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 at the starting line everything's equal and you know by and large i think people are generally happy with their camp i i, I know edmonton they got uh, it looked like they got somebody to play with McDavid on the, on the wing and, and putting up lots of points. Now the big boys start playing, and, and that expectation, and I think you've got to be careful uh, to come to a conclusion two or four games into a season, you know, which we all enter, especially in this day and age of talk radio and media and social media and, and when everything's out there. Um, I still think you've, you've got to be somewhat patient wherever you are. Um, I mean, I watched uh, New Jersey play Washington last night, and uh, boy, oh boy, New Jersey just took it right to the defending cup champs. Now we're going to, you know, order the rings to uh, Newark, New Jersey. No, I don't think we do that right yet. 
So I, I just think, you know, tomorrow we'll have two teams that look like they want to play an up-tempo game. Um, and uh, I know Cam Talbot had an off year last year. He did a tremendous job when he was here. Um, and Hendrick's been good. So at worst case, if we get an entertaining hockey game out of it, you move on. Dave, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Have a great broadcast tomorrow. I'm checking the schedule ahead. I will see you March 11th when the Rangers are at yeah. Rogers Place. Yeah, you know what? We may want to revisit this conversation then and see where we were. <laughs> I'm not sure where we'll be come March 11th. But look forward to getting out west. And listen, uh, good luck and thanks for calling. Right on. That's Dave Maloney, MSG radio analyst for the New York Rangers. We will meet this week's 630 Chet MVP when we get back. Subscribe to the Inside Sports Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. This is 630 Chad Inside Sports. Hey, the 630 Chad MVP is presented by Elite Promotional Marketing. This week's MVP, Sarah Engen, was also featured on Global News this past Tuesday. Get the video in the MVP section on 630Ched.com. Sarah gets Under Armour apparel courtesy Elite Promotional Marketing. You can nominate somebody by looking under the local tab on 630Ched.com. And I'm pleased to be joined by Sarah's coach, Jenna Stevenson. Jenna, thanks for making time for me tonight. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. All right. You are the uh, high school flag football coach for Sarah and the St. FX Rams. Before we get into that, because that's an interesting program in itself, tell us what makes Sarah stand out. She's just an overall well-rounded athlete. She's agile. She's quick. She's able to change her pace or uh, change her direction and keep her pace. Um, Yeah, she's just we give her the ball, and she can run into the end zone every single time. And, and she's in grade 10, so, I mean, I know the usual progression in high school sports is that the grade 12s are often the best players, but uh, she's obviously standing out a little earlier than that. Yeah, we were really surprised. I think she played a little bit last year in junior high, and I think, I mean, she's a soccer player, so I think she's just a natural athlete, and so she's just quick she can outrun both of our track stars on the team and so i think that's an asset being a great 10 she's just a great athlete from the start all right what can you tell us about uh about the high school flag football is this aimed specifically for girls so this year is a pilot project for the high school they've been running it in the junior highs and it's been really popular and so they decided to start with the girls in the fall because of obviously high school football for the boys is in the fall and they're going to see how this girls project works now and if it's successful and there's interest and teams want to join they're going to try to run a boys um flag football league in the spring and see how that goes okay and uh, do you think like the the appeal is is simply it's 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 a non-contact way to still enjoy football or how do you look at it yeah i think it's a good way i mean for girls specifically i think it's a good way to get these girls out to try a different sport i mean I'm a little biased teaching at FX. We're an academy school. We have very sports-specific athletes who come to FX. And so it's hard to get girls who are soccer players or basketball players to cross-train. And so right now we have a mix of track stars, basketball stars, soccer players who are in the academy. And it's just a really good way of getting them out to play a new sport that they're not, you know, they only get an opportunity to play in the Z class normally. And is the season uh, winding down? Where are you in the season? Yeah, so um, because it's just a pilot project, there's actually no 
championship. Okay. Um, they're hoping that if it turned out really well, just as a trial run to see who what schools were interested and if they could get girls out to play, then next year they're going to actually try to get it submitted as a provincial sport, and then there'll be a league championship and hopefully maybe some other cities will start to join in. And so this year, there's just a basically a round-robin play-for-fun kind of thing. So there's four play dates, and you play two teams every, um, every play date. And there's 12 teams in total. So we have one more game, well, two more games on Monday coming up. Okay, cool. Well, Jenna, we'll keep in touch about this, because this is a pretty cool program, and thanks for introducing us to Sarah as well. Enjoy your weekend. Thank you very much. That is Jenna Stevenson, coach of the St. FX Rams uh, high school flag football team. She was telling me about the pilot project, and she coaches this week's 630 Chet MVP presented by Elite Promotional Marketing Grade 10 player Sarah Engen. Great stuff there. Okay, 17-7, Regina leading the U of A Golden Bears in university football five minutes into the second quarter. In the third period in Winnipeg, Alberta Golden Bears hockey in a 2-2 tie with the Manitoba Bisons. That's about halfway through the third. Brewers now up 5-1 on the Dodgers. It is still the bottom of the fourth. The Oil Kings uh, get going uh, in a bit, not too much longer to wait. They are in Everett, hoping to snap a five-game winless skid 0-4-1 over that time. Kellen, are you ready for Crisis Saturday? Yes, sir. Let's hope to get uh, two Ws, and then we can have Happy Sunday. That's a very good point. Thank you for your optimism. Besides Jenna Stevenson, you also heard from Dave Maloney and Dave Campbell tonight. Thanks to everybody who called and texted. Really enjoyed the show. Kellen's your studio producer. Dave Campbell's the producer. 9.30 tomorrow, the doubleheader starts. Face-off show for the Oilers. Oilers play at 11. Eskimos pregame at 2.30. Eskimos game at 3. All day tomorrow. Going to be fun. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until tomorrow, I'll just keep moving on. It's Friday. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.